0: From the Lake County Wine Grape Commission and UC Davis, this is The Vine Line, an in-depth look at issues that winemakers and grape growers face across California. In this episode, we take an in-depth look at trunk diseases. Our speaker is Kendra Baumgartner, who's an adjunct professor at the University of California and a research plant pathologist at the USDA ARS. At a forum held in Lakeport, California in the spring of 2019, Professor Baumgartner spoke about diagnosing trunk diseases and treating them once a diagnosis is established.
1: Every vineyard in California will eventually become infected by one or more trunk diseases. Um, they've been described as separate diseases, though. Years ago, we thought it was just Eutypa dieback or ESCA. Now we know there's several dieback-type diseases. Botryosphaeria dieback, Eutypa dieback, Phomopsis dieback, and then there's esca, which is commonly known as measles. I refer to these collectively as trunk diseases in part because um, they often occur in what we call mixed infections. You'll find more than one of them in a vineyard. Um, also, they all collectively attack the permanent woody structure of the vines. That's not just the trunk, but also the cordons, the spurs, the canes. Um, and the other reason I refer to them to collect, Collectively as trunk diseases is that you use the same management practices for all of them So you're not really there isn't really one practice that necessarily works better against one or the other The fungi that cause these diseases all cause chronic infections of the wood um, they feed off various cells in the woody tissues um, and they cause slightly different symptoms. The dieback-type diseases, which I refer to them as Botryosfera dieback, Eutypa, and Phomopsis diebacks. I call these the dieback-type trunk diseases. They all cause wood cankers that are various shapes and sizes. Um, and then ESCA is a little bit different in that it causes these black spots. And I'll show you a couple different pictures of these. There's a little bit of delay here after I press this button, so. Bear with me. Yes. Oh, okay. What, I can't just keep it in my pocket and get it to work? All right, there we go. (laughs) An important part of the disease cycle for trunk diseases is RAIN. Rain is what causes the fungi to produce their spores, and for most of the trunk pathogens, it causes the spores to get moved around. They're what we call splash-dispersed spores. So a spore, um, water has to land on the spore producing structure, and as the water droplet splashes away from that, it carries the spores with it. And so wherever that water droplet then lands, that's where the spores end up. One exception is Eutypa, which um, needs water to make its spores, but once those spores are released into the air, they're spread around by wind. Um, Most of these pathogens, we we think, get into vines primarily through pruning wounds during the rainy season. They're all wound pathogens, though. They can all get in through various types of wounds. So other than pruning wounds, they can get in through... um, through grafting wounds. This is a vine here that was grafted over with another cultivar. Um, and you can see these mushrooms here are the fruiting bodies of a wood decay fungus that's associated with Esca. And then also shaker damage causes wounds on, right on the trunk. And, and that's the you know probably the worst place you can get a wood infection, a permanent wood infection is right on the trunk rather than up in the ca- canopy near the pruning wounds. Other sources of infection for trunk diseases are nursery stock. Um, Most of the trunk pathogens have been found, have been detected on contaminated nursery stock. U-type is the exception to that. Um, But the bot canker pathogens, the phomopsis dieback pathogen, most of the ESCA pathogens, they've been found um, primarily in the graft union of nursery stock, which is a wound, and then also at the base of the, the root stock cutting, they're found there, and also some of them are found on the surface of, of the bark of, of cuttings. Um, these are symptoms of the ESCA pathogens, and then also another type of um, disease, which um, some people call trunk disease, I don't. It's called blackleg or cylindrocarpon. It can cause symptoms that kind of sort of look like this too. So they can get into your vineyard with your nursery stock, some of them. Okay, the dieback type trunk diseases, they cause various shapes of cankers. This is due to the fungus, the the different fungi um, enzymatically decomposing the wood and also the plant makes phenolic compounds and other types of compounds to try to stop the infection. Where you see these wood cankers is more or less in that in the general vicinity is where the fungi reside. I'll skip that. And then the escapathogens have a slightly different wood symptom. They don't make cankers. Instead, they make these black lines in a longitudinal section where I scraped away the bark from this vine. And if you were to cut this, they'd look like black dots. That's where, I don't know if you remember, one of the common names of ESCA was black goo forever. It's because of that symptom. And then another set of ESCA pathogens, which are wood-rotting fungi, they cause a very visible decomposition of the wood, and it's, uh, it's a white-rot type of wood decay. And in this picture here, um, some vines that have ESCA, you can see both wood symptoms. You can see the white-rotted wood, and then you can see some of the black spots. The dieback type diseases all cause um, one similar symptom and that is dead spurs. So these dieback type fungi, they infect through the pruning wounds primarily during the dormant season. And if you cut away a dead spur, you can find a canker. And you, know, you might look at this canker and think like, well, there's a lot of healthy wood there. How did that spur die? And, and part of it is because um, You know, the fungus isn't just in this canker, it's nearby also, but some of these uh, dieback-type diseases, uh, the fungi that cause them really like the cambial tissue. So even though you see the canker there, probably the cambium right underneath the bark is all decomposed too, and that could have had something to do with the death of the spur. And the more dead spurs you have, obviously, you know, the fewer shoots you have, the fewer clusters you have, um, and vines accumulate these in, these infections over time through different pruning wound infections by different trunk pathogens in different years and they just become less and less um, profitable over time <laughs> Some of the dieback type diseases have distinct uh, leaf symptoms you type as one of them um, the leaves on that grow out of infected spurs um, the, the shoots that grow out of inspec- infected spurs will be will have deformed leaves. So some of them have um, these tattered margins. They some of them are kind of puckered or elongated, as if they've got some sort of herbicide damage. You'll see these shoots primarily in I'd say around April and May, and every year they'll grow out looking symptomatic like this from the same spur, and they'll just kind of get more and more and more and more stunted till that spur position dies off completely. The pathogen that causes Fomopsis dieback, which used to be called Fomopsis viticola, but now it's called Diaporthy ampelina, it's um, on the east coast, it attacks um, green tissues primarily um, with spring rains. We don't typically have a lot of spring rain, um, Uh, so we don't see this foliar part of the disease, but it causes leaf spots, as the name um, implies. Um, Everywhere you see a little spot here is uh, where a spore germinated and infected the, um, this is, I guess, this is probably a rachis. So this fungus can infect not just through pruning wounds, but it can also infect green tissues. And the spores of Fomopsis and, and also most of the trunk pathogens, they're splash dispersed. So they, um, they ooze out of these little black dot-like prune, um, fruiting structures in the sticky mass. Um, and when it rains, when water hits that sticky mass and drops away from it, it carries the spores. And they don't spread very far. You know, they may only spread... The majority of them will spread within a foot or two or three of where they're produced. But, you know, if you've got one vine with one infected pruning wound or one infected spur and the droplets keep, rain keeps falling on that, then it would, you know, very likely splash onto nearby spurs. So they can be locally damaging to your vines. Esca has very distinct leaf symptoms. Um, I would characterize them as all having uh, some sort of leaf scorching that happens on the edges of the leaves or in between the um, veins. And then also you get some discoloration. Um, it'll be yellow or red or both. Here's a range of different um, cultivars with different symptoms on them. But again, you see um, all of them have some amount of scorching around the edges in between the veins and discoloration, too. Here's some yellowing and some reddening. Um, This is Musca in um, Tulare County. This is Blanc-du-Bois in Texas. (laughs) This is... I think this is Sauvignon Blanc from right here in Lake County. <laughs> this is CAB, and that's a table grape of some sort, I forget, but really similar symptoms. And these symptoms, uh, on the same vine, they can be more or less severe, they vary from year to year. They'll typically be in the same part of the vine, you know, shoots coming out of the same spur or um, cordon. Um, but they'll vary in severity from year to year, and we're not sure why that is. The infections don't go away, they're in the wood, but the leaf symptoms can vary. Esca is different from the dieback type diseases in um, that its main effects are on ripening of the fruit. So you'll get normal yields typically in vines with esca, but the fruit will never ripen up properly. And that can be very visible you know you never get the coloration you're expecting or even from fruit on symptomatic shoots um you know from all the standard measures you can take quickly for fruit quality bricks ta everything they'll they'll never reach what you want them to reach typically Um, ESCA can also cause and this is a problem for table grapes it can cause spotting on the fruit some of the spots on this fruit are from thrips. Obviously it's not all esca, but some of them are from esca. And, and fruit on um, shoots with leaf symptoms may never show these spots. Um, sometimes the spotted fruit shows up before the leaf symptoms do. There's a lot of variability in, in symptom expression for esca. Esca also has a totally separate course of symptom development called apoplexy. This is when the whole vine, all the leaves on the vine just wilt. The vine just up and dies within like a week. And this typically happens around... July after we've had, you know, a good week to 10 days of really hot temperatures. Um, and these vines can be ones that, here's one that's totally dead, obviously, and these are in various stages of wilting. Here's my poor dog panting in the hot low low-eye sun here. Um, and we tend to see this happen in vineyards where these vines never show the leaf symptoms of avesca, the typical leaf symptoms, but maybe some vines in another row did. So why vines? undergo apoplexy in some years, but, you know, just show the regular leaf symptoms. We're not really sure about that. Um, Indeed, it's all the same fungi involved, though. And I've listed some of them here. Um, I've listed the most I guess widespread and common um, pathogens that cause each of these diseases. Um, And for some of these diseases there's multiple pathogens that cause them. Um, The I don't think it's really important for you to know the names because they're constantly changing it seems. And also, like I said, you manage them all in the same way. So now I'd like to talk about management. I'll talk about two different scenarios. So one scenario is if you're working with a very young vineyard. Say it's three to five years old, all the vines are trained up into their... Their canopies are trained up onto the trellis system, and you're harvesting fruit from them. In a vineyard like this, a young vineyard, we'd expect to see few to no symptomatic vines at all. And this is the time to really start preventing trunk diseases. The preventative practices that have been shown to work in... Various field trials, both in California and other Mediterranean climates around the world, are delayed pruning, double pruning, and applications of pruning wound protectants. We um, none of these none of these practices is a hundred percent. You're never going to pre- prevent. Every infection of every single pruning wound in your vineyard from every pathogen in every year. But the idea is to minimize those pruning wound infections, to reduce the disease risk. Because, you know, once that wound is infected, if that, if that fruiting position dies, then you're, no, you're never going to get that, the, those shoots back. One of the most important things about managing or preventing trunk diseases is not pruning when it's raining. I said before, the, the spores come out with rain, so if you're cutting open the wounds, you know, that's a great, that's a great scenario for the pathogens, not so much for you. Studies that have been done on the susceptibility of pruning wounds to infection after pruning show that in general, if you prune early in the dormant season, say in December, those wounds can stay susceptible for three to four weeks. Whereas if you prune close to bud break in March, it's just a couple of days. So the idea would be to prune as late as you possibly can. So in December, also we tend to have more rains, so that makes it also a bad time to prune. but, yeah, pruning as late as possible is always a good, a good idea, if you can. A whole other approach is by putting on an application of a pruning wound protectant. And pruning wound protectant is a term I use to apply to anything you're putting on after you prune to try to minimize infection, minimize the risk of infection. Um, there have been a number of studies done in California. We've done some studies in our own lab. There's been some published overseas in South Australia and also in um, parts of Europe. And consistently, those show that <clears throat> the material that seems to be the most effective against most of the trunk pathogens is Topsin, or thiophanate methyl. Um, second to that is <laughs> pyroclostrobin um, for marav- for. Table grapes, it's called Pristine, and it's a slightly different formulation than for Marivon, which is used for wine grapes. And then the B-lock, or boric acid paste, has been tested, and it seems to be pretty effective against Eutypa, but it's never been tested against any of the other trunk pathogens. And then the idea would be, if you're using these, they wash off the pruning wounds. So, you know, if you're applying, if you're pruning early in the dormant season, putting on a pruning wound protectant, and it's raining a lot, they're not gonna bring you a full level of efficacy that you might want for a full month or so. So if you could prune as late as possible, then put it on an application before it rains, that's the best strategy. And I think most people probably do that. Um, Again, the idea with the dieback type trunk diseases is, you know, they kill off spurs over time, and the more vines you end up having in your vineyard that look like this, um, obviously, that's a bad thing. So you want to keep that from happening. Um, I've worked with an economist, Jonathan Kaplan, who's at Cal State Sacramento, to kind of model how... Um, how uh, when is the best time for timing preventative practices? And I'll go kind of quickly through these slides. Um, so the idea is that over time, um, as your vineyard ages, the vines accumulate, infections, and there are more and more symptomatic vines over time. And it seems that around year 10 is when you're first starting to see the first symptomatic vines appear in the vineyard. Between years 10 and 15, however, the percentage of these symptomatic vines really increases dramatically. It's not because they're more susceptible during this time. The infections are happening early on. It just takes multiple years for these symptoms to appear. The wood cankers grow very slowly the leaf symptoms happen very slowly, and then death of the spurs happens very slowly. So the idea would be to um, try to prevent trunk diseases here when the vineyard's young, and then when you do end up having ones that are infected, retraining the whole top of the vine using a practice called vine surgery, or also trunk renewal. Um, I'm gonna skip through some of these. Okay, and then I'm gonna talk about, um, quickly, vine surgery. So for a long time, I never talked about vine surgery. I thought there'd be no scenario under which it could be cost-effective, but our economic analyses suggest otherwise. So I'm talking about it again. Um, In a mature vineyard, obviously, you've all managed, I'm sure you've managed mature vineyards, there's vines with trunk disease. So preventing trunk disease on them helps because you're preventing infections of all the new pruning wounds you're making each year, but it doesn't get rid of the infections that are already there. So the way you do that, you hack out infected wood and retrain a whole new vine. That's what I'm calling vine surgery. So some people do this kind of piecemeal with the tops of the vines, you know, cut out a part of the cordon with some dead spurs, lay down a new cane and call that a new cordon. This could work for a couple of years, but often eventually those new pieces of the canopy start to show symptoms because the infections are deeper down. So one more drastic approach is to chainsaw off the vine at the base of the trunk above the graft union and retrain a whole new canopy. This is a vine that we did that to right here in Lake County. This is the shoot that, we did this about a year ago, um, and this is the shoot that grew, and I think I took this picture in, I want to say, it was was after harvest, so I want to say it was October. So that's the whole, that's one shoot that's formed a whole, that's starting to form a whole new vine. This vine has a fully functional root system, and so this approach can be good to get a fully productive vine up and functioning again. Most of the, this, this approach can work because most of the infections are up in the canopy. They're not typically down in the trunk. So our economic analyses, I'm gonna just skip through some of these, <laughs> is that um, these numbers here are the net returns um, for one acre after 25 years. Um, and so, if you're using, let's say, Topsin applications every year, and you start them in year three, four, or five, and they're only protecting half of your pruning wounds, after 25 years, this would be this would be your cumulative net returns on a per acre basis. This is if you start using Topsin in year three. This is if you wait until year 10. You end up losing money after 25 years. So it's a it's a Bad situation. If you're using vine surgery only, and you perform this on all the symptomatic vines in the vineyard in year 11, 12, 13, 14, or 15, all of these numbers, you'll notice, are all, they're all positive numbers. Um, so this, this approach, using vine surgery alone, can be a pretty effective way to manage trunk diseases in the long run. I don't show numbers for year 16 and on, because those are all negative. And I don't show them from year 10 and up because there's not enough symptomatic vines in the vineyard to make it worth your while. And then lastly, this is what happens if you combine these two approaches. You start preventing trunk diseases using Topsin in years three, five, or 10. And then once some of the vines get symptomatic, which which happens, infections happen, um, you perform vine surgery once in any of these years, you'll notice all the numbers are positive meaning that combining these approaches is a good strategy. So prevention early on, vine surgery later given that some infections will happen. And the difference between um, which year you do this in doesn't seem to matter so much if you're starting preventing early on. Um, If you're waiting though till year 10, there can be a big difference. And the the way that, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily year 11 in every vineyard, um, where you would see the same level of symptom development. So probably a better strategy for you as growers would be to, rather than picking a year in your vineyard to use vine surgery, it would be to pick a time when there's a certain level of uh, symptoms in the vineyard. So. The way that we picked year 11 is because that's when 20% of the vines had symptoms in them. And year 15 is when 75% of the vines had symptoms in them. So performing vine surgery once in between those kind of levels of disease infestation is, could be cost effective in the long run. And then I think I've got a summary slide here saying that The preventative practices um, are a good strategy if you do them when the vineyard's young. Um, If you are using both, if if, if you have symptomatic vines in your mature vineyard, you're trying to figure out what to do with them, vine surgery is a good option, but don't wait till the vineyard is totally obliterated and every single vine has a symptom. Do it as soon as possible. And you can start as soon as only 20% of the vines have symptoms. Thank you.
0: In our next program, Dr. Andrew Walker talks about GRN rootstocks and their advantage in fighting disease. The Vine Line is produced in association with the Lake County Wine Grape Commission, the UC Davis Department of Viticulture and Enology, and the UC Cooperative Extension. I'm Bill Grudy. See you next time.